0: Well, so the, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about covenants, specifically what is a covenant and um, how, why are they important and how do they relate to us, but also how do covenants help prepare us to be able to tell our story about what God is doing in our life. I think if we're honest, if a lot of us would say that when we read the Bible, that when we're going through some of the Bible, sometimes we look at some of the stories and we kind of wonder, what is all of this about? I think it's easy to be reading the Bible and get a little bit confused and think, okay, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And sometimes I think in our earnest desire to really study the Bible and to read the Bible and to be good students of the Bible, we kind of miss a little bit of what the Bible is trying to communicate. Sometimes I think it's important for us to stop and remind ourselves that the Bible is really about God revealing himself to us. That through the word of God, God is really has a strong desire to reveal to us who he is. See, the Bible is about God talking about who he is and who we are, what he has done for us and what he wants to do in our life and how he wants us to respond back to him. That is, in essence, what the Bible is all about. And those are actually four or five key components of what a covenant is all about. About God saying, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I want to do for you, and this is how I want to respond back to you. But sometimes I think we can easily miss that the Bible is about God revealing himself to us. I think sometimes we get a little concerned that the Bible is about what I can do, what more I can do for God. And I think we make lists, and God sometimes I think is saying, it's not as difficult as what you think it is. And that's why I want to talk about covenants. And I like this quote by John Walton. He's a professor at Wheaton College in his book's Covenant, God's Purpose and God's Plan. I think this is a wonderful quote. He says, God has a plan in history that he is sovereignly executing. The goal of that plan is for him to be in relationship with the people whom he has created. It would be difficult for people to enter into a relationship with a God whom they do not know. If his nature were concealed, obscure, or distorted, an honest relationship would be impossible. In order to clear the way for his relationship then, God has undertaken as a primary objective a program of self-revelation. He wants people to know him. The mechanism that drives this program is the covenant, and the instrument is Israel. The purpose of the covenant is to reveal God. I love that statement when he says, in order to clear the way for this relationship, God has undertaken as a primary objective a program of self-revelation. He wants people to know him. See, that's the central theme of covenants is that God clears a path for us to know him. It's not about us clearing a path to get to him, but it's about God clearing a path to get to us and to give us a covenant. And I think that statement about covenants gives us a lot of peace. It gives us a lot of peace that God is doing the work to get to us and to present us with a covenant. See, God clears a way and we simply follow. We don't have to clear the way to God. That's what he does. The last couple of weeks we talked about when you look at covenants, sometimes the easiest way I think to look at covenants is that they are a framework and they are a bridge. It's a frame for us to understand the Bible when you take all the covenants starting in Genesis and going through Jesus and to put these covenants side by side and link them together, you understand the framework that God is building in the Bible to reveal to us who Jesus Christ is. But covenants are also a bridge that God uses to get us from the place that we are at to the place that he wants us to be. And we see several different covenants in the Bible because I think we see these different steps that God gives to us to get closer and closer to the perfect plan that he has in our life. As it says in the Old Testament, when you talk about covenants, we kind of wonder, okay, what is a covenant? So a lot of times we think of a covenant, it's like a contract, that it's a deal between God and man. It's a little bit like a covenant where there are, there's a definition of what is the agreement, but a covenant is different in this way that God makes. Is that a covenant is not ever over. A covenant doesn't just end because one of the parties doesn't uphold their side of the deal. Instead, what a covenant is, it's a relationship created by God that God is going to see to it. It's fulfilled. Even if our side of it, we're disobedient to him. A covenant relationship is God coming into a situation, making a promise, making a covenant and saying, I'm going to do both parts of this deal because I want to set you on a path for restoration. So a couple weeks ago, we started by talking about the first covenant in the Bible, and that's the covenant that God created between Adam and Eve. And now I recognize that in Genesis 1, it never says the word covenant. So some people are say, is that a covenant or is it not a covenant? But it has all the appearance of a covenant, but it specifically doesn't say it is. So you may call it a promise, you may call it a covenant, but the fact is what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says this is what I want to do for you. I'm going to put you in this beautiful garden. I'm going to give you every single thing that you need. But what I'm going to need for you to do is you're going to need to obey me. There's two different trees in the garden. You can eat from one and you can't eat from the other one. And I think we all know the rest of the story. That tree was just a little bit too enticing for Adam and Eve, so they went and partook of that tree. Now, you would think right there, the book of the Bible would be over with. They sinned, we're done. done. But instead, in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, we see the character of God that He says, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to search for you, and I'm going to find you, and I'm going to give you a plan of restoration. And what God does when He tells Adam and Eve the consequences of their sin, He introduces them, this whole concept of the Savior is going to come to redeem mankind. So by Genesis 3, instead of the Bible being over, we're seeing God has set a stage for Redemption. And on the stage, we know that God is there. He's the good father. And we know the Bible tells us that the mankind has sin. So they no longer can relate to God. And the relationship between man and God has been spoiled because of a lie of an enemy. That is what separated God and man is the sin, but it's also the lie of the enemy. So we need a solution. We know in Genesis 3 that the solution is going to be Jesus. But see, God doesn't just tell us that he's a good father. God is going to show us that he is a good father through the covenants. That God is going to use the covenants to show us that his desire is to draw back, people back to him. But not just draw people back to him, but also to lead them to the garden. We know in Revelations 21 that John talks about a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelations 22, verse 1 through 3, we have this beautiful verse that says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. It's a beautiful scripture, but it's a reminder to us of where we are going. See, God wants to get us back to that garden. That's the end goal here. Is God's going to get us back to that garden? He's going to get us back to the new heaven and the new earth. This is what life is about. It's about getting back to the garden. That's our destination. Is the eternal life that God has for us it goes way beyond the years that we're on earth, but that is where we are heading. And it's a beautiful promise, a prophetic promise about there is that tree of life again we're going to eat from that tree of life. It's coming in the future, and that's how the covenants help us to get from where we are to get us back to the garden. So we see after Adam and Eve sinned, we see the next covenant that's introduced, and it's a covenant that God made with Noah and his family after the flood. And you would think that probably the story of Noah is not really a good place to start by saying that God is a good father. You would look at the story of Noah and think, this is such a tragedy. How could we view out of the story that God is a good father? We'd have a tendency to say, God's kind of tough. We have a tendency to say, maybe he's not that nice of a God, or maybe he's kind of a mean God because of the flood. But actually, you're going to see in the story of Noah that God is extremely compassionate. In the story of Noah, you see two things. You see the heart of God, and you see the heart of man. See, I think sometimes we look at Noah and we think, ah, this God that would destroy a world. And we think that's kind of tough and that's kind of hard. But we see through the story in Genesis that God had every right to destroy the world. And God tells us in Genesis 6 that he destroyed the world because of the sinfulness of the human heart. And then he tells us later in Genesis 8 that even after the flood, the human heart was wicked. And that's kind of a surprise because you think, Noah and his family... Probably they experienced that flood. You would think after the flood they would be like, okay, we we need to be really good because we see what God can do. And so perhaps we better be extra good that we don't mess up. You would kind of expect that would be in the culture. That would be what they're trying to do. And I I bet Noah and his family probably tried. But I think we see through the story of Noah, they weren't able to do it. They were not able to obey. Their heart continued to deceive them. And the heart is sinful, but yet we see with the grace of God that his heart is compassion. So the reason that God comes to Adam and Eve, or comes to Noah, and He says to them, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I'm never going to destroy the world again through a flood is because of his compassion. He doesn't saying to Adam and Eve, He says, I don't want you to worry that I'm going to destroy you and the whole world because of your sin. I'm going to extend to you to my compassion. See, God understands that people do not have the capacity or the ability to lead themselves to the garden. That if God wants to get you to the garden, he's going to have to lead you there because you're not going to wander there on your own and get there. So we see already with Noah, God saying, I understand the condition of man's heart, but I'm going to show you the condition of my heart. And my heart is love and compassion. And I want to lead you back to the garden. See, the, gov- the, the covenant with Noah makes it very clear that God says, I'm going to take the responsibility to do for you what you can't do for yourself. So then we come to Noah. We know, or after Noah, we come to Abraham. We know that after the flood, we know God made the covenant that he would not destroy the nation or the world with a flood again. But we also know that Noah and his family kind of messed up quite a bit. They did some pretty creative sins, and they got in pretty big trouble And things kind of continue to spiral out of control. And so God's going to reach out and he's going to make a covenant with Abraham. And as we study the covenant with Abraham, I think it's important for us to ask the question again, what does God want to reveal about himself through Abraham? As we approach the Bible with the the concept of what is God trying to speak to us, I think we need to look at the story and say, what is God trying to speak to us through this covenant? So what God is going to do with Abraham in Genesis 3, he's going to make a promise to him or in Genesis 12, God's going to make a promise with Abraham where he's going to say, I'm going to give you a huge family. You're going to have a wonderful promised land to live in. And I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 12, reading verse 1 through 3, and then verse 7, where it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So it's a pretty good day for Abram, whose name is going to change a few chapters later to Abraham, so I'll probably refer to him as Abraham throughout this message. But one day, Abraham, someday we really don't know a whole lot about this man, and he comes on center stage, and God is going to do a great work through him. But God tells him with these promises, these three specific promises that he's going to give to him, but as we saw, he started out and said, okay, Abraham, but one thing that you're going to do is you're going to have to move. So you'd think Abraham, everything would be perfect for him. God just found him, spoke to him, gave him three great promises. You would expect immediately some of these things are going to happen. But if you go forward a couple couple chapters to Genesis 15, you're going to find that Abraham comes before God and says, I don't have any kids yet. You promised me this huge family. I'm getting older. My wife's getting older. What are we going to do about this? And so he comes before God and I think he's probably pouring out his heart like a lot of us do when you find yourself in that waiting period and saying, God, what about these promises that you have for me? I don't think it's going to happen. And I love how God responds to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I think it's a beautiful promise what God does to Abraham. Abraham comes to God and says, God, what about these promises? And God's willing to confirm those promises over again to Abraham. And I think a lot of us in this room get to that place in our life. We're like, God, but wait a minute, what's going on? I feel like I'm getting older, and I think these promises are not going to happen in my life. And I think it's easy to become discouraged and think, did I get disqualified along the path? Is it something I've done along the path? I'm not seeing this happen in my life. And I love this story about Abraham because even though Abraham's getting older and he's thinking, "Okay, biologically how is this going to happen?" That God is faithful to him and say, "Look up at the stars. I can do for you beyond what you ever could expect." And I think it ties into how we introduced the service with back to Isaiah 40, God saying, "I'm going to answer your prayer." in a way that you're not expecting. And God does that with Abraham. He kind of meets him in a way that none of us would expect. But actually what God even says to Abraham in this verse is like, the promise I gave to you is even better than what you're probably expecting. So I want to read the rest of Genesis 15 because it gives us a little bit idea what God's doing here. God starts Genesis 12 and says, this is my promise to you. I'm going to do these three things, but you got to move. And then in Genesis 15, we come, God's going to create a covenant with Abraham. So let's read this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, the servant of my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldeans, to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told them, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. And the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. There will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to the land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the borders of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Chazenites and all the other rites. I forgot what I was reading that. I was going to have to read that out loud. Now, I told you in my introduction that what the covenants help us to do is understand the Bible and make it pretty clear. Now, I'm going to prove to you that that chapter 15 is kind of a very unusual chapter. You're probably wondering, what are we going to do with the dead animals that are cut in half? What are we going to do with the, are these carcasses? What are we going to do with this fire pot? What are we going to do with this flaming torch? There's a lot of things in this chapter that you look at and say, okay, this doesn't make any sense. This is one of those chapters you have a tendency to skim through because you're like, I really don't get at all what that is talking about. But I think if we pull it apart and take a little time to pull out parts of this chapter, you're going to see that God is going to reveal himself in a surprising way. Now, if you lived back in Abraham's day, you would probably say, okay, this makes a whole lot of sense. Because when God is doing this covenant ceremony with him, that was kind of common back in that day. In that day, if you made a covenant with another person, you made an agreement with another person or another contract with another person, you would usually end the contract or the covenant, by doing a ceremony like this. So that was common in this time. Even in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah will refer to a cutting of the covenant. This is what it's referred to as you are cutting covenant. You probably heard the term cut a deal. A lot of people say it would come back from the Bible times with a covenant because you would cut a covenant which you would actually take these animals and then you would kill them and you would cut them in half. You put one half on this side and one half on that side. And then when people would make a covenant with each other, they would walk together and they would go through the aisle with the carcasses on each side. They would go through the aisle is a way of saying, if I don't fulfill my half of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. They're actually taking a pledge on their own life saying, if I don't fulfill this covenant, I'm willing to die. The stakes are pretty high there. I think if we had to sign a mortgage and we had to do a cutting ceremony like that, I don't think anybody would default on their mortgage. (laughs) So that was not the culture back then that you knew on a covenant. If you did not keep your part of the covenant, you're going to have to die. That's kind of intimidating to think of entering into a covenant because you could lose your life. So when God is giving covenant to people, they're thinking about this. Back in that day, they're thinking about, okay, somebody's going to have to die in this covenant if it's not fulfilled. That would make you probably a little bit cautious about entering into a covenant, let alone entering a covenant with God because we know he is perfect and he doesn't fail and he doesn't sin, so we know he's going to keep his end of the deal, and so the odds are, I'm not going to fulfill my end of the covenant. But see, what's interesting in this chapter that we read through, and I know it got a little probably confusing because you're wondering about everything going on, we see at the end when the part of the ceremony, when you walk down the aisle, you're going to walk between the carcasses, we noticed Abraham was sleeping. But God walked down the aisle alone. But what God did is he walked down the aisle as a smoking fire pot, in a flaming torch and you're all wondering what's a flaming fire pot and a flaming torch but before we talk about that i think it's important to understand that what god was saying in that is he's saying i'm going to walk down the center of that covenant alone i'm going to walk down the center of that covenant because i'm going to fulfill both parts of the covenant you don't have to worry about fulfilling your part of the covenant Because God knew if he would have walked down the center of that covenant with Abraham, that Abraham would have to die. Because he would never fulfill his half of the deal. So God said, and this is kind of a a picture of Jesus coming, I'm going to walk down that covenant alone. Because if you don't fulfill your part of the covenant, I'll die for you. So we see already in this covenant, this picture of Jesus is going to come someday. And he is going to will be the one that's going to walk down the center of that covenant for us. See, God has given to Abraham an unconditional covenant in the sense that God initiated the covenant. He's securing the covenant. But God's going to fulfill that covenant by his grace and his mercy. Now that means Abraham and his family and his descendants, they still have a responsibility to do what God's requiring of them. But what God's saying is, you have a responsibility to be obedient, but I'm going to back up and I'm going to give you the grace and mercy to be obedient. And that's how God made this an unconditional covenant is he's coming in and saying, I'm going to fulfill both parts of the covenant. I'm going to keep my promise and I'm going to give you the ability to keep your part of the promise. And that's a beautiful thing that we see in this chapter. But God did have a requirement. Before God gave that promise to Abraham in chapter twenty twelve, he said to Abraham, you're going to have to move. He said in Genesis 12, verse 1, he said, The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Why did Abraham have to leave his family? See, the Hebrew expression that's translated that word leave means to deliberately disassociate yourself. It wasn't just leave, say goodbye, but it was to deliberately disassociate yourself from your family in that place of origin. I mean, kind of why? 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 What's so wrong with this family? Why did he have to leave? Why was it so intentional that he had to get out of the place that he was from? What was so wrong with his family? What was so wrong from the place that he came from? Why did he have to leave? So we don't know a whole lot about Abraham, but if you look in Joshua 24, it's going to give us a big key to understanding what's going on here. In Joshua 24, verse 2, it says that Abraham and his father worshipped idols. Abraham and his father worshipped idols. And see, that's why I believe that God is saying, Abraham, you get out of that place. You need to stop worshiping idols. If you want to follow me and you want the blessings that I'm going to have, you're going to have to stop worshiping idols. You're going to have to let go of something if you want to embrace all that I have for you. You're going to have to stop. See, sometimes we are going to have to let go of some things in order to embrace all that God has for us. And I think that's why God said to Abraham so specifically, leave. Leave those places. Leave those people that you do bad things with. Because if you want to receive all the promises I have, you can't do both. You're going to have to make up your mind. And I think that's just a beautiful picture that we need to leave Sometimes you have to leave things behind. But what's even better is how Abraham has the ability to leave things behind. See, we ask ourselves when we look at Abraham, okay, what is God revealing? What is God showing to us about himself through Genesis 15 and through this covenant? What is God trying to speak to us about who he is and his character? I think there's at least six things that we can look at in this verse that we can see a little bit more about God and what he is doing. See, the first thing is that God gives us the ability to follow him. So one of the first things that we can see is that God is going to give us the ability to follow him. I think some of us have probably felt at times in our life, am I going to miss out on the plans that God has for me? Am I going to miss out because maybe I'm not good enough? Or maybe I don't have what it takes? Maybe some of you worried that everybody's passing you by and you feel like I'm stuck over here and I'm wondering, kind of like Abraham, am I ever going to have the baby? I think there's, that's, that's a legitimate feeling. Feeling that everybody's going to pass you by, that even the plans and promises of God might pass you by, and you're going to sit back and say, what about me? Am I going to see these promises happen in my life? Am I going to see the provision in my my life? But I think what's beautiful about the story with Abraham is that you see that our obedience isn't the key. What's key is the faith that God's going to give us to have the ability to move. Our obedience doesn't come first, what comes first is God's gift of faith. We look in the book of Romans, and in Romans 4, verse 16, this is what Paul says about Abraham. He said, So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believed. Notice what he said here. He didn't say obedience comes first. He said, faith comes first. And faith is a free gift. God gives a free gift of faith in order for us to have the obedience to follow. That just kind of makes me rest right there, knowing that God initiates the covenant and he's going to give me the faith to have obedience. I'm not going to have to work up this faith on my own God has given it to me. And sometimes when I have a fear of missing out or a fear of wondering, is this promise going to happen? I just look at this verse and say, God's going to give me the faith. God's going to give me the faith to be obedient. The second thing that we see is that God creates new things out of nothing. Abraham's a really good example of God creating something out of nothing. One minute, really, there's no Abraham in the Bible. We don't really know a whole lot about him except that little verse I read to you in the book of Joshua. We don't really know him. And suddenly God takes somebody who's kind of a nobody in the Bible and God says, I'm going to change the world through you. How does that happen? There's really not a whole lot of introduction at all to Abraham. One minute we don't know anything about him, the next minute he's on center stage and God's creating a covenant with him and saying, I'm going to change the world through you. I like what Romans 4, verse 17 says. Paul continues and says, that is what the scripture means when God told them, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. God brings the dead back to life, and I love that song that we sang that tied into there, into this but also creates new things out of nothing. Abraham was kind of a nothing. Nobody knew him. Worshipped idols, not a good thing. Pretty much a nobody. But what God did was he created something out of nothing. And that's the pattern that God is always in is that when God has a good plan for your life, when God has a covenant for your life, and he does have a covenant, he does have promises that God is going to be the one who's going to create something out of nothing in your life. That no matter the situation that God finds you in, he can create something out of you, just like he did out of Abraham. And the third thing that we see about God revealing himself in this scripture is that God replaces blessings through curses. We notice back in Genesis 3 when and Adam and Eve had sinned, that suddenly God told them the consequences of their sin. Talked about the curses that they would receive in their life. And curses in your life is basically a separation or it means that when the power of God is not working in your life. And God was saying that to Adam and Eve after they sinned, this is the consequence. The power of God is not going to flow in these areas of your life anymore because of the consequences of sin. But then here comes Abraham on stage. Abraham, the man who worshiped idols, and what God says to him, I'm going to bless you. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Suddenly, God's striking a deal with this man who had a sinful background and says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to curse people who come against you. That's part of this covenant that God is creating with each of us, saying, I want to bless you. I want to flow in your life. I want to stop that separation. But, Abraham, you have to move. You have to move. You have to give up that stuff in your past. You can't hold on to that idol worship anymore. You're gonna have to let go of some things because I want to bless you. But if you're holding on to some of that stuff, it ain't gonna happen. And the fourth thing that we see is that God is always faithful. See, when we look at these covenants, it's kind of it's easy to get a little confused confused by this stage of this thing going on with these animals and they're cut in half and side by side. And, and I think we get a little confused sometimes wondering what is going on here and what are all these pieces doing here and, and how am I going to navigate this and, and these pieces, how do I walk through and what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go to this Bible study or that or how do, how do I do this Christian walk? And, and sometimes I think we get overwhelming, but I think we see when God cut this covenant... He's the one who walked through, alone. And he just says, follow me. We don't have to be all so worried about what we do. Our part is simply to follow. See, when God created that covenant, Abraham fell asleep. He could rest and knowing that God was doing all the hard work of that covenant. See, the covenant between Abraham and his descendants would stand regardless of what Abraham did. Abraham could still be sleeping. And God said, this is what I'm going to do. Because God knew that through his sovereignty and his plans and his purposes, that he would get Abraham and the rest of humankind to where they needed to be. See, God knew that if Abraham walked through that covenant, he would die. But God says, I'm going to do both parts of this covenant. That's where God is faithful. He is going to make sure that covenant is fulfilled. And the fifth thing that we see is that God requires holiness. But he's also going to direct his people. See, we look at that part when Abraham fell asleep and that God walked through the, the center aisle of that covenant as a, smoke, as a smoking furnace, and as a blazing torch, you're like, what in the world is all of that about? See, in the Bible times, that smoking furnace or that fire pot represents God's holiness. And that blazing torch represents God's guidance. See, God has always revealed himself to us is a God of a holy standard, but also a God who's going to give you direction. A God that's always going to give you someone to follow. You always see those two combinations together. You see God's, God's holiness standard and his ability to lead you. You always see them come together. You don't see one without the other. And so whenever God makes a covenant with man, both aspects of God's character are there. His character that requires holiness, but also his character that says, I'm going to lead you. See, we talk about sometimes that we go through the furnace in life We talk about we go through the furnace in life. It's a remind us that God, God wants to purge out impurities in our life. And I think we know that smoking fire pit a little bit more than sometimes we like to admit it. We know what it's like when God comes and says, you need a little bit of refinement in this area. We like the torch that leads us, but sometimes that fire pot's a hot one. But in Isaiah 43, I like how it says, it says, When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. See, that's God's promise. When he comes to us with a standard of holiness, it's not going to overtake us. But he's going to use it to our advantage, and his torch is going to lead us to where we need to go. And the final thing that I think we need to see in the covenant with Abraham is that God's delays are not his denial. It'd been easy for Abraham to say, huh, I'm getting older, I'm 75, my wife's getting older, this baby's not going to happen, and just kind of leave the scene and say, so I guess I just missed it because we're too old. But I love the fact that Abraham went before God and said, hey, what about these promises? What about these things I thought you were going to do in my life? I love the fact that Abraham was strong enough to go before God and said, hey, I, I, I want to know about this. He didn't just brush it off. He didn't neglect it, but he still went to God in prayer. See, and it talked about um, in in Genesis 15 that when Abraham fell asleep, that God revealed to him that part of his his descendants, part of the nation of Israel, would end up in captivity in Egypt. And I'm sure that wasn't very encouraging for Abraham to realize that part of his family is actually going to end up in captivity because of their sins. But through it all, God revealed to Abraham, but I'm going to free the nation from Egypt. That you're not going to be stuck in Egypt forever, but I have a plan to lead them out. But then there's this interesting verse, verse 16, that God says to uh, Abraham, why the delay? Why is the delay for some of these promises working out? And he says to Abraham, he says the sin, He said, I didn't have that on my notes. In in verse 16 it said, the sins of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. That's the delay for some of these promises happening. You look at that and you think, well, wait a minute, the Amorites were a wicked nation that was inhabiting Canaan. Why didn't God just kick out that wicked nation quickly so that Abraham and his family could receive the promises that God has for them? See, actually what God was doing with the Amorites is that God was being patient with them to try to lead them to repentance. God didn't just kick that nation out just because they were not good people, but he had patience with them because he wanted to lead them to repentance. And we know the verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that says, The Lord is slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, that promise for Abraham's family took a little longer than he would think. He thought. Because in the process, God's trying to lead other people to repentance. God's trying to get all of us back to the garden, to get us to the new garden. But God's also in the process of getting as many people to come along with us. And sometimes we see the promises delayed in our life and we wonder why, what is going on. But actually God is doing more for each of us than we can anticipate. Because he's doing a, li- uh, a wonderful work in a lot of other people's lives. But it's easy to look at these promises and wonder and get discouraged when delays come. It's easy to read these promises and think, when is it going to happen? And I think that's why it's important to look at the character of God, to see his faithfulness, to see God walking down the center of the aisle of a covenant saying, I'm going to do both parts for you. And in a few weeks, we'll talk about the covenant that he created with Jesus and how Jesus is the one that is actually walking down the center of the covenant with each of us to fulfill both sides of the covenant. But we see it early in Abraham's day. And I think it's a beautiful picture, too, of that covenant and the unusual things in the covenant with the animals cut in pieces and put side by side. It's a reminder that takes us back to Isaiah 40 that I opened with, that sometimes you look at the needs that we have, the needs because we're weak or powerless, and God answers them in a way that we never expect. I don't think anybody ever expected when God cut a covenant with Abraham what all that was going to mean and the significance of all that he was doing that day when Abraham fell in sleep sometimes God's moves in mysterious ways that we really don't understand but the beauty is when we go to Isaiah 40 and we see that God never grows weak or weary that's the confidence that we can have as our worship team comes up to lead us in a final song and to close out of our service I think it's important to remind ourselves that God God never grows weak or weary That God is always working on our behalf to take care of the needs that we have in our life. That God knows these needs that we have in our life and he wants to fulfill them. So as they lead us in this last song, let's come to worship. Asking God to continue to reveal himself to us and what he wants to reveal to us today. See, God didn't bring us here today just to listen to me. But God brought us here today to listen to him. And I believe there's something that God wants to speak to each of our hearts today. And hopefully you receive that during this and our moments together today. But also just cry out to God during this final song and just say, God, would you reveal more of who you are to me today? So I can leave here today with the courage and the confidence, knowing that you are faithful to fulfill the promises that you have for me. That we can leave here today with this confidence to know that I'm not going to miss out. That God's going to give me the faith, like He gave, Ab- like He gave to Abraham, to leave behind whatever I need to leave behind, to embrace all that He has for me today.